kind of before we dive in. Um, next week is our birthday, and uh, it has been an amazing first year. Uh, so we're going to have a party at the North Gym. It's in this parking lot, kind of near the football field. We're going to have some food trucks there. We're going to have a dance floor, a DJ. It's not your typical church party, okay? Um, uh, it's going to be incredible, and so it's a great chance for us to get to know each other better as well. What better atmosphere to get to know each other than at a party? So uh, it's going to be a blast. We encourage you guys to come next week. It's free. Uh, and then the birthday services in the morning are going to be just absolutely amazing. And if you've been blessed by Prodigal Church, if our church has helped you grow in your love for God and your love for others, would you consider inviting someone next weekend to join you for our birthday celebration? Um, quick poll here. Uh, how many of you guys first came to Prodigal Church because you saw us online? Okay, raise your hand. Okay, there's a few of you. Awesome. We have great media, great social media, great website people. Um, how many of you guys first came to Prodigal because you saw one of our signs, like on the street, maybe on a Sunday morning? Okay, quite a few of you as well. Praise God. How many of you first came to Prodigal because someone you know invited you? Amen. Um, and so next week is a great chance, great opportunity, a great weekend to invite someone you love. I know they'll be blessed and they can come to the party, okay? It's going to be great. Um, secondly, our second session of small groups will be starting at the end of this month. You have a brochure and a card in your bulletin. And so we want to encourage you to consider attending one this fall. Most are about six weeks long, and they're a really great way for us to grow in our love for God and our love for others. Circles are better than rows, okay? Uh, you can get deeper into God's word. You can be more honest and vulnerable, and it's a conversation, not a sermon. And so uh, something happens relationally and spiritually when we gather together in living rooms, in coffee houses, and uh, we wrestle through the things of God together. So fill those out, and you can drop them by any giving box on your way out. Uh, we're in the finale of our vinyl series, and uh, we're also, I don't know if you guys know this, but we're at a theater at a high school. And so we have stage like things here that uh, we are accommodating to the theater department here at Bullard. And uh, this is going to be awesome. This vinyl series, what we've been doing is classic tunes, classic truth. And so we're, we're asking the question, what truth are these songs tapping into that make it connect to, to millions of people across the world? And then we explore that truth biblically. And if you're looking at my finger right now, and you're wondering what this is. It's a Kleenex with like red duct tape on it. I went to hug someone as they were coming to church today and they had their back bulletin sticking out of their back pocket and I just paper cut my fingers so bad. It's an awkward hello. Oh, ah, uh, 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 sorry, uh, paper cut, you're making me bleed. Um, welcome to church. But uh, we'll make do uh, and uh, go from there. So to this morning, Elton John's classic hit, Candle in the Wind. It's the picture of Norma Jean Mortensen. Uh, it's the birth name of Marilyn Monroe. Norma Jean's mother, Miss Gladys Baker, was periodically committed to a mental institution, and Norma Jean spent much of her childhood growing up in foster homes. In one of those foster homes, when she was eight years old, one of the boarders raped her and gave her a nickel. 
He said, here, honey, take this and don't ever tell anyone what I did to you. When little Norma Jean went to her foster mother to tell her what had happened, she was beaten badly. She was told, our boarders pay good rent. Don't you ever say anything bad about him. Norma Jean, at the age of eight, had learned what it was to be used and given a nickel and beaten for trying to express the hurt that was inside of her. And she turned into a pretty young girl. People began to notice. Boys began to whistle. And she began to enjoy that. But she always wished that they would notice her as a person, not just as a face or a body. Then Norma Jean went to Hollywood. She took a new name, Marilyn Monroe. The publicity people told her, we're going to create you into a sex symbol. And this was her reaction. A symbol? Aren't symbols things that are clanged together? And they said, it doesn't matter when we create you, you're going to be a smoldering sex symbol and it'll be a huge hit in Hollywood. And she was an overnight smash success. But she kept asking, do you also notice I'm a person? Please notice. Now, everyone hated Marilyn Monroe. Everyone did. She would keep her crews waiting for hours. She was regarded as a selfish prima donna. What they didn't know is that she was in her dressing room vomiting because she was terrified. She kept saying, will someone please notice that I'm a person? No one took her seriously. She went through three marriages, the whole time pleading, take me seriously. Everyone kept saying, you're a sex symbol and you can't be anything else. So on a Saturday night at the age of 36, Marilyn Monroe took her life. She killed herself. When her maid found her body the next morning, she noticed that the telephone was dangling uh, beside her bed. Later investigation revealed that in the last moments of her life, she had called a, a famous Hollywood actor and told him that she had taken enough sleeping pills to kill herself. And he answered with the famous line of Rhett Butler, frankly, my dear, I just don't give a damn. And that was that. It was the last thing she heard. She dropped the phone, left it dangling. It is said that, Mar that that dangling telephone was the symbol of her life. She died because no one ever was able to understand. She was never able to get through. Elton John's 1973 song, Candle in the Wind, chronicled the life of Norma Jean Mortensen with the famous chorus, and it seems to me you've lived your life like a candle in the wind. Diana Frances Spencer, Princess Di. She was married to the heir of the royal throne in 1981, and as the princess, she used her notoriety to make a difference in the world. Not to glorify herself, but to bless those who need it most. As the princess, she worked among those suffering with AIDS. She worked to dismantle and eliminate landmines in war-torn countries so that innocent people won't die. She worked in cancer treatment hospitals. Princess Di died in a car accident in 1997. Her funeral was at Westminster Abbey and was watched by over 50 million people worldwide. It was there that Candle in the Wind, performed by Elton John, was rewritten as a tribute to Princess Diana. At the funeral service was the only occasion that Elton John ever played it live. Hundreds have requested him to play that version of the song live. He's never done it. It was released as a single in 1997, and the all of the global proceeds of the song have gone to Diana's charities, so that even in death, she is making a difference globally. 
And it seems to me you lived your life like a candle in the wind. different lives, both cut short tragically. They both lived their lives in the public eye. They were both beautiful. They both died at 36 years old. Luke chapter 13 says this, now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. This passage of scripture uh, refers to two tragic events that were very familiar to the ancient audience in which it came. The details, however, have been lost to time. 
For Luke is our only source of information about what transpired at these events. The grisly mention of Pilate's mingling of blood of Galileans with their sacrifices appears to refer to a massacre that Pilate did on the Galileans. The narrative doesn't tell us why Pilate would slaughter this group of people, but the deed nevertheless corresponds with other historical writings about Pilate's violence. Jesus also references another tragedy that people were buzzing about when he refers to the Tower of Siloam. Apparently, a structure had collapsed without warning and crushed 18 hapless Jerusalemites. And Jesus seizes on these two different calamities that have been the subjects of recent conversation around the local watering hole. One in an instance of state-sanctioned brutality and terror, and one a random accident. Both saw people snuffed out with little warning and no apparent reason. Both kinds of events lead the rest of us to wonder how precarious our existence is. Jesus implies that the victims did nothing wrong, nothing that caused their demise. He refers to two events, Pilate killing the Galileans and the Tower of Siloam falling on 18 people. Senseless deaths. Just this week was the 17-year anniversary of 9-11. Senseless deaths. There's a hurricane happening right now rocking the Carolinas. So Jesus uses two events of his time, but he could have used two events of our time. Although these events might allow Jesus an opportunity to defend God against mismanaging the universe, he doesn't go that route, right? Like a terrible thing happens and everyone on their mind is, why would God allow this? God sucks at his job. Jesus doesn't even tackle that question, he only implies that we must not equate tragedy with divine punishment. Sin does not make atrocities come. They just come. Life's fragility gives it urgency. That's, that's That's the direction Jesus takes this conversation. He turns our attention away from the disasters and the victims and the questions of why, because we've all had those questions why. And rather, he uses this recent memory of tragedies to stress the suddenness and the, and the unpredictability of death in life. And that's what I'm urging us towards this morning. Can we look back at the tragedies of Marilyn Monroe and Princess Diana, or many more in our more recent memory, and see the unpredictability and preciousness of this gift that we call life? Jesus says, knowing this, repent. You know what repent means? It's a real spiritual word, right? Like you, when we think of repent, I think of the street preachers, right? They got big old signs condemning everybody else to hell. And they say in big, bold letters, repent, R-E-P-E-N-T, exclamation point. Repent just means this. I want to take back that word. Uh, repent means to rethink everything, to turn around, to rethink everything. So Jesus says, in light of these events, in light of uh, Pilate murdering innocent Galileans, in light of a tower falling on 18 people and crushing them, repent, rethink everything. Life is a gift. Move your life in a Christ-like direction. President Ronald Reagan once challenged by a college student who said it was impossible for Reagan's generation to understand uh, the problems of the day. 
The student said, Reagan, you grew up in a different world. Today we have television, jet planes, space travel, nuclear energy, computers. And taking advantage of the pause in the student's litany, Reagan said, you're right. We didn't have those things when I was growing up. We invented them. <laughs> that response gives a different perspective. I think we all know that it's so hard to see beyond our grid of observation. It's hard for us to grasp a new perspective. It's hard for us to repent or to rethink everything when our whole lives have trained us for something else. It's hard for us to rethink things when what is right in front of us all the time. I want you guys to do me a, a favor here. I want you to think about this, this rope and just pretend like it goes on forever and ever. Okay, like around the world, like back to Mars, around again. This rope goes on forever. It doesn't go on forever. It ends right behind the stage. But just pretend for a second. This thing goes on forever. And imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence, okay? And that this, this pink part right here, this represents your time here on Earth. You've got a few short years and then it's eternity somewhere else. And what blows me away is that some people might be thinking about this pink part and you're consumed about it. You're consumed. Oh man, I can't wait till I get here. And once I get here, then I'll be happy and my problems will be solved. Or once you're here, you're like, okay, we got enough saved in retirement, so I can't wait till I get here. What about all this? <laughs> One chance at this life. We spend it in giving ourselves to God and to others. Some people may look at my life and they say that the decisions I make, you're so dumb. You, you, you could end up here. This is really going to affect all this part if you do it that way. And I'm like, no, you're dumb. Because the way you're living, it's going to affect this part. Now, the point I'm, I'm trying to make is not... Make sure you go to heaven because eternity is a long time and hell sucks. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that because we are given such a brief life on earth and it can be taken from us at any time, because life is so short, let's make it count. Let's make it beautiful. Let's live it for God and live it for others. Let's not spend life on ourselves. Let's make a difference in our world. Peter Rollins, great Irish philosopher, tells this parable about the rapture. And I don't know if you're familiar with the rapture. If you've grown up in the church and you speak Christianese, then you know what the rapture is. Um, the rapture is, is an event that some people think is biblical and some people think it's not. And it's an event where uh, the Christians in our world are raptured or taken up or caught up and go to heaven. And it's often referenced in, in, in relation to Armageddon or the Antichrist or the final stages or the Great Tribulation. And Pete Rollins writes this disturbing parable regarding the rapture. And by the way, we, we have a life group that all they're going to do is go through Peter Rollins' parables and then think deeply about them and their ramifications for us in the life of faith. It's, it's on there. You guys can check it out. Um, it's led by Wade and Surly. But the parable goes like this. Just as it was written long ago from the prophets of old, the last days of earth overflowed with suffering and pain. 
In those dark days, a huge pale horse rode through the earth and death upon its back and hell in its wake. During this great tribulation, the earth scorched with fires, rivers ran red with blood, the soil withheld its fruit, and disease descended like a mist. One by one, all the nations of the earth were brought to their knees. From all the suffering high up in the heavenly realm, God watched the events unfold with a heavy heart. An ominous silence had descended upon heaven as the angels witnessed the earth being plunged into darkness and despair. But as this could only continue for so long. At the designated time, God stood upright, breathed deeply, and addressed the angels. He says, the time has now come for me to separate the sheep from the goats, the healthy wheat from the inedible chaff. Having spoken these words, God slowly turned turned to face the world, and he called forth the church with a booming voice, rise up and ascend to heaven, all of you who have sought to escape the horrors of this world by sheltering beneath my wing. Come to me, all who have turned from this suffering world by calling out, Lord, Lord. In an instant, millions were caught up in the clouds and ascended to the heavenly realm, leaving the suffering world behind them. Once this great rapture had taken place, God paused for a moment and then addressed the angels saying, it is done. I've separated the people born of my spirit from those who have turned from me. It is now time for us to leave this place and take up residence on the earth. For it is there that we shall find our people, the ones who would forsake heaven in order to embrace the earth, the few who would turn away from eternity itself to serve at the feet of a fragile, broken life that passes from existence in but an instant. And so it was that God and his heavenly host left that place and made it their dwelling upon the earth. The ones who had forsaken God for the world and thus who bore the mark of God, the few who had discovered heaven in the act of forsaking it. It turns our common conceptions of the rapture in the afterlife on its head. And it will spark a good conversation to say the least. The Apostle John, while in exile on Patmos, received a vision of heaven and is a vision of the future beyond the grave of God's people. It says this in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Notice that heaven is coming down, we're not going up. That's, that, that doesn't fit our Sunday school model of what heaven is supposed to be like when we die. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. In, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us how to pray, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that even Jesus, as he's teaching us how to pray, he's speaking of not us abandoning here and going up there, but rather bringing heaven to earth. We are to pray and live this way in a way that brings heaven to earth. This doesn't mean that there's no afterlife or that there's no heaven. No, 
It means that we don't have to wait till we die to experience it. It's about here and now. We only get this much. Let's make it count. There is judgment, but through Christ, there's no more tears. There's hope. There's heaven when we die. When Winston Churchill, the great prime minister of England, died, he had two requests at his funeral. He said they were were to play two songs, and the first song they were to play was Taps. You're familiar with it. Powerful song. Taps means the day is over. And then he said, immediately after you play Taps, I want you to play Reveille. I want you to play this song right here. Reveille means a new morning has come. It's beautiful. He says, you might be sad, the day might be over, but as soon as he passes from this life to the next, a new day has come. It's this excitement. There's joy. There's life. John tells us in Revelation that there's this tree in the center of this, the new Jerusalem, and its leaves are for the healing of the nations, not for the hurting of the nations. It says there's no need for sun because we don't need any light. The Son of God will be our light. That is our future in Christ. It's not the end, the beginning. We are not leaving the land of the living to the land of the dying. We are leaving the land of the dying to the land of the living. I want to invite Noe and the worship band to come up. A hundred people over the age of 95 were asked this question. If you had to do it all over again, what would you change? What would you change? Three things. And there's some wisdom here, right? This is over a thousand years of of human knowledge and experience. What are the things that you would change? Number one, risk more. Number two, Reflect more. Number three, do more things that would live on after we're dead. Let's not wait till we're 95. Let's do something about it now. You know what's going to live beyond us? The church of Jesus. Let's build this. Let's, let's, let's build this to make a difference for future generations to kids and grandkids and future great-grandkids. It starts with small decisions and it makes a great impact. I read this and I'll close with this. This is a, a, a short phrase that I just think matters for us in our everyday lives. Sow a thought reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. We've been taught our whole lives, for those of us growing up in the church, 
that when you, when you die tonight, where are you going to go? That question matters. If the world were going to end tomorrow, do you know where you'll go, heaven or hell? Those questions matter. But in Jesus, the scriptures tell us that there are two other questions that matter, and I think they're equal. If you weren't going to die for another 80 years, what kind of person do you want to become? And if the world wasn't going to end for another 500 years, what kind of world do you want to create? Those questions matter. God, we thank you so much that our life is but a vapor, but it, you call us to make a difference. God, Ecclesiastes tell us that, that this life is about chasing after the wind. That life is but a vapor. And God, you give us this season, this time here on earth to make a difference. It's precious. Help us to live it to the fullest. Help us not to get caught in just looking after ourselves, but to make a difference in our world. God, I pray that, that it would start here at 5445 North Palm Avenue, that, that we, would do, we would risk, that we would reflect, that we would do things that will go on beyond our lifetime here on earth. And so God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you that you're the king of our hearts, that you're the king of our lives. Help us to live differently because of your love for us and your love for the world. God, tragedy happens. And I know some in this place who tragedy has struck and the loss of life has struck even these last several weeks. And Father, I just pray for your comfort in the midst of that. I pray that those who are going through those tough seasons, Jesus, would see the value and preciousness and beauty of life and live it to the fullest in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we declare that Jesus is the King of our hearts?
never gonna let 